Another Way to Play, episode 16. Hey, this is Daniel Pearson, real estate investor. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Daniel Pearson. Uh, he's a fellow real estate investor who I connected with originally on Bigger Pockets uh, over the market that we both invest in, Tacoma, Washington. He owns a triplex there currently and is planning on scaling to over 10 units in the next two years. He was born and raised in Seattle. Uh, has managed an eight-person sales team in Los Angeles for four years out of college, uh, and now works on multimillion-dollar deals with clients such as Microsoft and Amazon for an advertising tech firm in San Francisco. Uh, he's also an avid basketball player and pursued that heavily in his younger years and now enjoys running, traveling the world, reading in his spare time, and of course, real estate investing. In our conversation... He talks about the importance of getting to know people as opposed to knowing business. Uh, I think that's a hugely valuable and very important skill to have uh, because I believe to know people is to understand the way the world works. He also talks about when he first decided to invest in real estate, how long it took him to get from that moment of deciding, which was in a classroom actually, to actually committing, writing the offer, putting the money in escrow and pulling the trigger on the offer. He also brings up the importance of mentorship, which I have found to be hugely important in my life. Um, but he says it only takes one mentor uh, to make a disproportionate impact in your life. So getting to know as many people as you can, getting in their worlds, and, and you never know who that person is going to be for you. Uh, so we have a lot of great other insights in this conversation, and I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, I would love to connect with you on a personal level. So if you go down to the show notes, you take a look down there, you'll see my Calendly link. You can get on my calendar. We can have a chat to get to know each other a little bit better on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I can learn a little more about you, how I can make this podcast better, uh, what guests I should bring on, uh, what questions I should ask them and the like. So until we get connected personally like that, here is my interview with Daniel Pearson. Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So we just went through your bio and I gave a pretty interesting background. You're, you've come through sort of the tech world and now you're doing a side hustle of real estate, but why don't you build some context for us and tell us a little bit about uh, where it all started for you and what, what got you here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I had a pretty good childhood and I uh, had great parents. A lot of my family is involved in academics and uh, a couple family members in law. So I had a really nice upbringing. You know, parents never put pressure on me to follow any specific path. 
was really passionate about basketball in middle school and played high school. That was my big thing and worked really hard at it, even though I wasn't super talented inherently. And uh, ended up going to college in Washington and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with my life and didn't have anything concrete lined up. So I took the plunge and moved to Los Angeles, not knowing anybody. And I ended up working for a nonprofit. And uh, it was a nonprofit where I was teaching middle school and I had a classroom full time. So that was pretty challenging being 23 years old, but I learned a ton. That kind of set the foundation for the rest of my professional life. What was kind of unconventional about that is I was only making about $900 a month at the time. And, uh, you know, really uh, not, didn't have a lot of monetary resources, but was, uh, was just really stretched professionally. So was able to get a job interview through a guy that I met in that program. And uh, that was for an education tech company. And, and uh, this guy's brother ended up becoming my boss and mentor. And uh, I worked for this education tech company for about three years and was lucky enough to become a sales manager and manage a team of about eight people. And uh, this, this guy ended up moving to San Francisco, becoming basically our chief revenue officer. And he gave me the chance to move up to San Francisco. Um, so really kind of started from humble beginnings, but through, through kind of a combination of hard work and luck and mentorship, uh, was able to uh, get a really great opportunity in San Francisco where I've been for four years. Man, that is a, a really interesting way to get to the Bay Area and into tech through teaching, I would say that's pretty non-typical. Are you, was your degree and was your focus originally to be a teacher? Uh, you know, I was a sociology major. So, you know, really interested in, in kind of social change and uh, education. Thought about it. Boy, after, you know, if you work with sixth graders for <laughs> really tough, you know, there's the, the classroom management piece was really tough and definitely, definitely passionate about that as a cause. But, uh, you know, just decided pretty quickly, it, it wasn't something I wanted to jump into. I think, I think I do have a, I guess maybe business oriented mindset would be the right way to put it. I mean, when I was younger, I just, I love selling things. I would, uh, sell my drawings outside of the house. I'd sell lemonade and, um, just, you know, just kind of had that, that love of selling things and, um, when I got the opportunity to do an education sales role, I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. And there, there wasn't a lot of social good in the education selling world, but uh, you know, it was, it was a nice transition for me and really allowed me to develop my communication skills and sales skills. And I think, you know, anybody out there today I, who's trying to figure out what to do as a first job, I would definitely, cons I think you should jump into sales. I completely agree. That's, that's exactly what I did as well. So I'm, I'm right yeah. along that same path with you. The education component and sort of dealing with people in difficult, difficult situations, whether it's just a classroom full of kids or in a sales situation, like how has your kind of sociology background and this education background kind of catapulted you up into uh, this next level where you're managing teams and, and then obviously now managing tenants as well? Yeah, I think the core of any successful person or any successful to be successful in a role, you need to have really strong communication skills. So studying sociology and then moving to the education field helped me become a better written communicator. Also helped me challenge people. I mean, I think some people are more drawn to conflict and some people are more conflict diverse. I've, I definitely fall in the second category where I think when I was younger, especially I was more of a people pleaser and really want to get along with everybody. But I think, you know, if you get into real estate, you need to be able to embrace that conflict. Um, you need to be able to, to challenge people or at least be firm 
while being solution oriented. So I'd say, you know, that background in sociology and education really helped me lay that foundation in terms of being a good communicator and then getting the sales side um, kind of helped me become a better challenger and better at uh, handling conflict. That's really uh, an interesting kind of path you've taken because I think most people think, you know, you want to get into business and you want to work your way up. You maybe go to business school or you go to um, get an MBA or some something like that, or you study economics or whatever it is. And uh, you've really come at it from a human aspect and like an interaction conflict resolution as you've been talking about, but also understanding people in general. And it sounds like that's really been at the core of your, your journey so far and a, and a core pillar of your success. No knock on MBAs. I think an MBA can be good for a lot of people, especially if you want to you know, network or sharpen your quantitative skills. But I think uh, a lot of the most successful people that I've been around, both in terms of career progression and financial success, they don't have MBAs. And they've, they've done that by you know, networking within their jobs and uh, just working really hard and, and always figuring out how they can add value. I think if you're always tr- figuring out how you can solve problems, you're going to get paid for it. And, you know, if you are able to solve bigger and bigger problems, then you'll get paid even more. Um, so I think for me, that's uh, kind of been my mindset. And I take that into everything I do. That comment you just made about always looking to add value and solving bigger and bigger problems is, uh, it's such a th- it's such a thread that runs through all of these interviews that I've done so far. And I love that you just brought it up because it's, it's so true. Like we can go learn spreadsheets and accounting and marketing and this and that, but at the core of everything that we do in business or in life, it's all people driven and it's all ultimately helping them get to whatever goal they have and, and achieving that personal definition of success for that person, which will then help you, get to where you want to be. Is that something that you felt like you had to train uh, personally or is that something that you you always sort of had and, and just took with you from an early age? I think it's definitely taken some training and just taken some repetitions. I mean, I, I'm i pretty active on LinkedIn, for example, and I'm you know probably receiving two to five reach outs a day of people who are just asking me for this and that. And most of them I think are just automated, but I, you know, occasionally I'll get someone reaching out to me who's actually taking the time to research my background and what I'm working on. And I think that if you can figure out how to come across as actually helping someone and actually how to, you know, figuring out what their, what their problem is, then it only, it only go back to help. It can only help you. Do a little bit of homework before you reach out to someone. What a concept, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially in this day and age, there's just, uh, you know, there's so much noise that if you can just spend even 10, 15 minutes, I mean, you know, when you're talking about real estate, you know, if you're, if you're trying to acquire a property, for for example, and you want to reach out to someone cold to maybe do, I don't know, something like seller financing. I mean, if you actually spend the time to, to treat them like a human, I mean, the, the, what's at stake financially is potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you think about it in terms of being a benefit or being an ROI on your time, I think it just, you know, it, it, really, it really speaks volumes. I mean, it's better to have a couple tailored reach outs a day than, you know, just 20 kind of cookie cutter reach outs. I 100% agree with that as well. I think, you know, there's a quality 
uh, component that comes into play, and especially with all the automation of bots and the and the mass blast emails and that sort of thing, it's it's pretty obvious when something comes through as genuine, whether it's an offer on a property or it's a reach out to connect because someone thinks you're doing something cool or they're trying to recruit you to a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, having that gen going back to like knowing people and having that genuine connection is is so so important because ultimately no matter what business you're in you're in a people business right right exactly yeah and i think that just goes back to the communication piece you know understand understand how to be a listener understand uh you know what makes people tick understand how to write effectively i think if there if there's one skill that i think people can can really double down on it's it's learning how to communicate effectively and and you definitely can improve it um, if you're doing it every day absolutely so backing up just a touch you you mentioned that um through someone you met in your teaching program you got your your tech or into your sales job your education sales job and then ultimately that's what brought you up here to a a more management role um and you, and you talked about mentorship briefly. How important have mentors been in your journey? I think mentors have really been crucial, uh, just in terms of people that have had a big impact on me. I think, you know, I think all of us can probably name five people that have been the most impactful in their journey. And I think it just takes, it just takes one person to make a disproportionate impact. From when I was younger, it was, you know, a person that, that really helped me grow in terms of my my basketball I wanted to be a good basketball player I wasn't that talented I wasn't super tall um, but seeing people and being around people that are successful and doing it that's how you get there um, in terms of my career it was being around a guy who was really only about a year older than me but he is and was super talented professionally and and really believed in me and kind of saw me bigger than I was. And uh, same goes with real estate. I think uh, being around successful real estate entrepreneurs is, is something I'm actively working on and uh, something I'm trying to do more of. I think one guy that helped me was about five years ago before I took the plunge into real estate. And he was just teaching a local West LA community college real estate course. And there are about six people in the class. And he had acquired about seven properties which at the time I thought was just an insanely high number. Um, and he was, he was in his fifties at that point. Um, but he had never made a ton of money in his career. And, you know, at that point I was maybe 25 and making about the same amount, not like it was that much money. And I was like, okay, well, if this guy's doing it, then I, I'm pretty sure I can too. Um, so that was pretty crucial for me and, um, kind of gave me the confidence to jump in and I've been able to stay in touch with him throughout the years and just run some questions by him. And, uh, I think uh, I think you can never have enough mentors when it comes to real estate or anything that you want to do really. 100%. When did real estate come into play cuz you're you're teaching then you get this opportunity to to go into the education sales and then you're into management. Um how does the investing outside of your normal job come in and, and more importantly why? Yeah, I think you know it's funny I always had a liking for real estate and always was interested in it. And, and I think some people that are in real estate aren't passionate about it. And I think that's okay too. Um, some people just see it more as a, a tool for financial freedom, but I always was, was super interested in it. I think when I was about 20 years old, I decided I was going to take the, take the plunge. Um, and it took me quite a while to take the plunge, but that's okay. I, I acquired my triplex, um, a little over a year ago. And since I acquired it, that 
has just forced me to learn from my mistakes. I think before you actually acquire a property, like, okay, this is cool. I could have cash flow, or, you know, I could hire a management company and, and, and there are all these concepts, but when you actually take the plunge, then you're actually in it. Um, so I think, you know, for most people, it's better to just pull the trigger, take action, and then your learning curve will just get reduced exponentially. Um, before I took the plunge, yeah, I was super interested in real estate. I was reading about it, trying to talk to people. But in the past 13 months or so since I've had the triplex, I have spent probably a minimum of two hours a day either meeting people, reading, um, listening to podcasts, um, and actually managing the property. So now that I took the plunge, it's actually real to me. And, and now I see a path to get to five, 10, 50 units. So it sounds like that first one, that first deal rather was a really big turning point for you in this, in this career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just getting up the courage to pull the trigger. I definitely didn't do it perfectly, but if I had to go back, I don't think I would do it over again because, you know, again, it, it kind of bridges the gap from the concepts to actually making it real. Um, when you're actually doing something every day, then then you're actually in it. So I think for everybody out there, I, I would strongly encourage you just to just to pull the trigger on a property if that's something you're thinking about. And yeah, if you can, you know, talk to talk to four or five people that are doing it. I mean, I think before I before I pulled the trigger, I met with at least 10 people in person, picked their brains. And after a point, it just got to be, you know, the, the, the pain of actually wanting the the property and thinking about it, you know, just became became too great. And I was like, all right, either I'm going to do it or I'm not, but I can't keep thinking about this. Um, so, so pulling the trigger was just huge and actually making it real for myself. Love that. Uh, pull it, you're just getting in and pulling the trigger. I think that there's a fine balance between being like, like having a goal and, and thinking about it or dreaming about it. Mm -hmm. And than having the analysis paralysis on the other side of that spectrum because you can jump in and be undereducated and make a lot of really terrible mistakes, whether it's a real estate investment, uh, going out on your own as a, as a, any, a service provider, as an uh, entrepreneur, or whatever the case is. And then on the flip side, you can take every course, you can analyze every deal, you can do every spreadsheet, but if you never actually like put some money into escrow and, and sign on the dotted line, right. it's, it's all for nothing. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I jumped in and, uh, you know, now I'm able to think about things from a much more, just from a much, from, from an investor's standpoint, I think, uh, you know, once you jump in, you realize what you didn't know. And, uh, you know, I've, the past month, for example, I've, I've made offers on uh, five properties and haven't gotten any of them accepted. But, you know, on one, on one hand, that's super frustrating. And, uh, you know, it, it feels like a waste of time. But that's, that's kind of looking at it from a negative mindset. What, and that's easy for a lot of people to do. And, and what I've come to the conclusion of is that it's great that I didn't get any of my offers accepted because that means that I'm, I'm bidding at a price that would, that would make it a good investment. Um, I have my numbers down. I know what kind of ROI I want. And, uh, you know, I know it's just a matter of time. I think a lot of people say you want to make 10 offers for every one you get accepted. And, and that sounds nice. That sounds great. But when you're actually going through it, uh, it is pretty frustrating. But I would say, you know, if you're getting your offers rejected, that's actually a good thing. And, you know, just, just stay firm with your numbers and, and, and know that you will eventually 
get a great property accepted. Um, I think it was easy and I remember doing it. I do totally agree with that. I think at a certain point, just put, put the number forward that, that makes sense for you. Like some people are very concerned about offending somebody often and, you know, losing or whatever the case is like, what happens if it doesn't get accepted? Well, and we're basically in the same spot. I have also seen where people put an offer forward. It doesn't work at that moment. And then for whatever reason, a month or two later, a seller will come back to you and be like, hey, would you still be interested in that original offer? Because either they didn't get the energy they wanted um, through their marketing or something changed in their life or whatever. And if you never put it in paper and actually put it in front of the seller, it's you can't get it accepted. It's just not possible. And so definitely writing it up and putting it out there is the only way to know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a no, it's just a no for right now. Cause again, real estate is really dynamic as an industry and things change all the time for people. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think, uh, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely a numbers element to it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's free, it's free to make offers. You know, it's, uh, it's not going to cost you anything to get it rejected, but you're going to learn. Like you said, I think when you get your, when you get that hook out there, oftentimes, you know, then that starts the negotiation process that, that, uh, starts the communication back and forth where down the line, someone will come back to you and you'll get it accepted. Or the listing broker, uh, has one that has a pocket listing and was really similar and knows you're a buyer for it and then brings it to you or brings it to your agent or whatever. It's just anything can happen in those kind of scenarios. So you always want to make sure that you have something. Uh, if, if, if it's something that your numbers tell you it's a good thing to pursue, then then pursue it. You know, another thing I've learned is just, you know, tell every single person out there that you're looking for properties, um, whether it's your friends, your, your agents, your lender, your contractor, um, just create as many funnels as possible. And, uh, you know, I think the beginning is the hardest part. You know, everyone says that real estate's passive or, you know, they wanted to build passive income, but I think really that's a kind of a myth. And, uh, you ultimately need to do a ton of work up front to build those systems and, you know, you need to continue to work on those systems. And once they're in place, then they'll start to work for you. And then, you know, then the real estate and then, then the revenue piece will become passive to some extent. So the, the passivity of it, you're totally right. Uh, most people would think, about it as it is a passive income. Um, but what you're suggesting is that it's not really passive, especially in the beginning. It's, it's actually more of an active hands-on, as you said, you're spending two, almost two hours a day, real estate related things. How does that affect your, your normal sort of nine to five work that you do in San Francisco right now? You know, I'm lucky because my, my role is pretty flexible, but uh, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a sacrifice. I mean, a couple of days a week, I'll be reviewing properties with my agent and making sure to, to sign offers or submit offers rather. And, uh, you know, a lot of those things are, are really time sensitive. So I think you just have to, to shift your mindset a little bit and just kind of integrate it with your day. You know, I mean, you do have to make some sacrifices, but I think ultimately, if you realize that it's part of a bigger picture and it's part of your overall goal, then it just, it helps you realize why you're doing it. And it just makes it that much easier. And, you know, if you put in the time when you're twenties, thirties, forties, whatever, it's, it'll, it'll make the rest of your life a lot easier. So I think when you're in the weeds, when it's, when it's Tuesday night and you're, you know, reviewing properties or making offers, um, and you've already worked a eight, 10, 12 hour day, I think that can feel exhausting, but if you can put in the context, the bigger picture, then it all, it all becomes worth it. So 
for you, where does real estate fit into your bigger picture? Because I think someone may be listening to this. They're like, dude, I'm, I'm commuting 45 minutes each way. I'm working at my job. Like I'm trying to get this promotion. I'm making some pretty good money right now. Why would I add two hours a day to do real estate? I think it all, it all comes down to your goals. And for me, I always want to be working at something but I don't want to have to necessarily trade my time for money, even if it's making $50, $100, even if it's $1,000. Even if you're a consultant, you're making $1,000 an hour, you still have to go chase that next paycheck. So mm-hmm. for me, I don't want to have to have that one-to-one relationship with my time and my money. I, I want to have uh, a system built that you know ultimately gives me enough income to replace my day job so i don't have to get up every morning so i don't have to trade my time for money so yeah i think just you know just figuring out your goals and just just having your why is really crucial so it 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 makes that time you're spending on top of your regular job a lot easier can you take us back to the moment when you realized that you wanted to change uh, your direction in that you 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 had you came up with this goal of I don't want the one to one with dollars for the hours. Um, can you can you take us into your mindset and like paint that scenario for us and tell us how that happened for you? A key moment for me was in the real estate class that I took. You know, this was a, a class that was like a hundred bucks. It was anybody could have signed up for it, and and it was really a low financial commitment. Um, and just seeing, seeing the, seeing the instructor, seeing a guy who, you know, had a very average career, uh, you know, income wise, and just seeing how he navigated the property acquisition process and, and seeing really the, the net worth of his portfolio that he wasn't putting a ton of time into. And, you know, I've always felt like I'm a pretty driven person. I like working, I like working hard, but I, I want to, I want my money to be working for me and I want to have more flexibility. And I realized, you know, that real estate, it's, it's not going to make you rich in a year or even three years, but the people that I've been around, the people I've talked to, there seems to be a pretty common trend that between somewhere uh, between five and 10 years, they're able to accumulate enough property and enough income where they're in a really good position and, and they're more or less set. I think the time's going to pass anyway. So whether you're 21 or 31 or 41. I mean, imagine if you put in seven years, just imagine what that would look like. I think people often underestimate what they can do in in about five to seven years. It's not going to happen overnight, but they can do a a ton in that amount of time. Uh, Your last comment just there reminded me of this quote. Uh, I think it's a Tony Robbins one and I'm going to give him credit because I think I heard him say it, which is basically people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10. I think you, you really just articulated that. It's like, if you're able to put in an hour or two a day or even just five days a week, reviewing properties, reading some books, listening to some podcasts on your commute, and then do that consistently over time, you'll accumulate some knowledge that then if you can go buy a property every year, just one every year, after seven years, you have seven properties and you're like, oh my gosh, they're kicking off, you know, two, three, four hundred dollars in net cash flow. Uh, that that becomes substantial. That's That's living costs for a lot of people all of a sudden that you don't have to pay for and gives you a very different tax structure. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I'm definitely not the most patient person in the world. And I think, you know, our society is not conducive now to being patient, but if, if you really just discipline yourself and you think, okay, I'm going to put in a little bit every day, um, 
and over three, five, seven years, it's, it's, your improvements may be massive. I think it's like anything else, whether you're trying to get in good shape or whether you want to learn a new skill, you have to put in a little bit every day. And then it's the, it's the cumulative impact that's going to be really, really game changing for your life. I completely agree. And, and we are getting towards the end of our time and I want to be respectful of yours, but I do have one more question before we move into our final uh, segment. And my question is during those times when you're trying to be consistent and you're trying to continue, you know, review a property or two every day, read a book, you know, do a podcast, but it's like, it's not working. It's feeling really hard. I'm just lazy today. Like, do you have a saying or a quote or something that, that kept you going in those moments? saying or a quote or even if it wasn't that is there a mindset that you carried through or something that would sort of remind you of why you're doing this and kept you going on the path when you didn't really feel like it i think there's a quote i heard from david green who i really like he says you know most people just wish that they are financially free or they wish they could bench press 300 pounds but they don't really want it i think when you want something, it means you're willing to sacrifice. So understanding that, okay, I'm sacrificing an hour or two hours of my day for financial freedom, then it becomes really clear and it just becomes very, um, it just makes sense. I think, uh, you know, again, I said it before, if everyone, uh, you know, if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it. And I think you just have to, to realize that you're doing things that other people aren't doing now. Mm-hmm you can live like most people won't be in five, seven years. I can't, I, they joke about this on the bigger pockets podcast all the time and who, who actually said this quote, but it's something like, uh, live today, like no one else. So you can live tomorrow. Like no one can Right. something to that extent. And I think that's, that's more or less what you just said. And it's so awesome. And is, and that idea has kept me going in some of those moments. And it sounds like for you as well. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, like don't compare yourself to other people. There's, there's people that are, you know, always going to be way ahead or way behind you in, in terms of, in terms of some, you know, some metric, but just try to be the best you can be. Try to imagine what your, you know, your, uh, your vision of financial freedom looks like. And you can probably get there a lot faster than you think. Want to transition to the focus five, which is the last round uh, of questions that I ask every guest every week. And I'm excited to hear what answers you bring to the table. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, First question is what book have you gifted most often? Definitely a pretty big reader. Um, I have a couple answers to this one. Hope that's okay. Please. I'm a big fan of just, uh, trying to get your mind right. I think often what separates successful people is, is how they're able to think differently than other people. Um, so big fan of the, Al- big fan of the alchemist, um, pretty popular book out there, but I think just in terms of getting your mind right and really choosing your thoughts intentionally so that what you want will manifest itself, manifest itself. Um, really, really good book. And mm-hmm. more recent book that I read is can't hurt me by David Goggins. Um, that one. Super, super inspirational book. Another, another book I think that'll kind of just, blow your mind about being mentally tough and just, uh, you know, completely transforming yourself. I think I need to go back and read that book again, but, uh, would totally recommend that to anybody. Totally. I love both of those. Awesome answer. Uh, if you could get an hour of someone's time past or present live or dead and ask as many questions as you want, who would that person be and why? 
would love to have an hour with Elon Musk. I think that he is an incredible thinker. Um, he's incredible at pushing the boundaries and uh, he's able to, to juggle so much. Don't, don't envy his, uh, his schedule though. I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd want to be him, but I, I, I kind of believe that everyone has, every ultra successful person has some type of unfair advantage or some type of, uh, some, something that they do differently and, and not necessarily inherent, but I think, you know, oftentimes we can learn that. So I'd like to pick his brain on, you know, how he thinks and, and what he does differently than other people. Fantastic. He's actually been one of the more popular answers lately uh, to that question. So that's interesting. You brought him up. Yeah. Um, What's one thing you believe that most people would likely disagree with you on? Um, One thing that comes to mind is that you don't, you don't need to live, live your life linearly or, or sequentially. I think you don't need to worry about checking the boxes of, okay, high school, college, job, high school, college, job, promotion, grad school. I think, you know, it's more important just to be focused on how to, to get your mind right, how to uh, really have goals and um, just become obsessed with, with what you want to accomplish. Um, push your, put yourself outside of your comfort zone. I think that was a big driver for me in moving to California and just not knowing anybody and just kind of getting my start. I think, you know, everyone has something they can do um, that'll really push them outside of their comfort zone. And I think you don't, you know, it, maybe it means quitting your job. Maybe it doesn't. But, uh, you know, just, just figure out what that might mean for you and um, just make yourself un- uncomfortable on purpose. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in society of, you know, looking good and, uh, you know, doing all the right things, getting a nice car, uh, getting a promotion. But, you know, just make yourself uncomfortable and I think you'll learn a ton and uh, you'll be able to apply that to whatever you end up doing. Can you give us a glimpse of your morning routine and the way you start your day? Yeah. Um, the thing I started doing recently is making my bed. Small, sounds like a really small thing, but I uh, heard it from somewhere and it's, it's kind of a way just to get a, a quick win, so to speak. And, uh, you know, just get your day started off on a positive note. Also a big fan of just, you know, producing any decisions in the morning, you know, whether you have a big meeting and you need to dress up, you know, make sure your clothes are ironed the night before. For me personally, always, always uh, make a cup of, of fresh coffee as well. And then I'm lucky enough to be able to, to walk to work. Um, so that's, a, that's my morning. Pretty simple, but, you know, it's uh, make sure to do it every day. There's some really fantastic advice. I love, I love the make your bed thing. Um, I do that as well. Totally. Yeah. Totally yeah. in it. So it's a great win. Plus it starts your evening off well when you get back in. Right. Awesome. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Where is the number one place that people can find you online if they want to connect with you and learn more about your real estate or what else you're doing? Um, definitely LinkedIn's a good one. Uh, Daniel Pearson. Uh, if you type that in San Francisco, you'll find me. Um, And we will uh, link to your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can just go down there and click and find you. Perfect. Well, Daniel, thanks again for hopping on the podcast. You've definitely brought it today. You've brought a lot of uh, practical advice and a a really killer story. And uh, hopefully the guests got as much out of it as I did. And maybe we'll have you back when you get to your 10th property and tell, tell us about that journey. That would be quite an honor. Thanks so much for having me, Hans. Really appreciate it. That does it for today's show. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. I learned a lot from Daniel's story, and I think there's a lot of takeaways for someone, especially who is someone who is uh, considering their own journey and finding their next way to play. Uh, If you care to connect with Daniel directly, you can find him on LinkedIn. I have his 
uh, profile linked down in the show notes. And he's also available on Bigger Pockets, um, but go to LinkedIn first because that's where he's most active. While you're down in the show notes, why don't you connect with me as well? I'd love to get to know you uh, and find out who you are, what you're enjoying with this podcast, and how I can make it better. So find my Calendly link down there and get on my calendar so we can have a chat and get to know one another a little bit better. Uh, So until then, this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play, and remember, make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.